We're starting a series this week on the Sermon on the Mount, and we're looking at kind of Jesus' teaching. I was just chatting to Fiona and Faith around this and said, actually, just one of the challenges, I think, is that we often talk around grace and the fact that Jesus is very gracious, and no matter how broken or messed up or sinful we are, he comes to us and he forgives us. Yes, that's absolutely right, and that's absolutely true. But in terms of character and holiness, we can often not teach on that so regularly. And I think this series is really paramount for where we are as a church to really just push into what does it look like for us individually and as a community to have godly character and holiness because actually that's the best life that's the the good life that's life in its all all its fullness to live and act and live and love and look like Jesus so that's what we're going after with the new series on the sermon on the mount and really what I want to say is that it's about how we follow Jesus about how we behave and imitate Jesus and how we model our lives on him, how we relate to him. Ultimately, everything we do as Christians starts and finishes with him, a relationship because of what he's done by living and dying and rising again for each and every one of us. And because we relate to him and we model our lives on him and build our lives on Jesus, we love each other better. We love this city better. We invest in this city in a Jesus way. So the reason we're going through this is because we want to model our lives on Jesus so that we have the, the life we're called to live, but also so we love one another and love this city in the way we're called to do. So we're going to start with turning to Matthew 5. It'll be on the screen, but if you've got a Bible, feel free to grab it. Matthew 5, we're looking at. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he said, and, he said, and began to teach them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So it's actually, I would say, quite a complex passage, really. And I think there's two dangers. There's the danger that we look at it and think, what does this mean? I can't even open this up. It's so complicated. It's so far removed from where I find myself. And it's language that perhaps we don't use today, so therefore we can almost ignore it. The other danger, I guess, is that we look at it and misinterpret it. But all I want to do in the next few minutes is just unpack some key themes that I think are absolutely of paramount importance to us as a church in this season. And what we see in this passage is that we're called to be blessed. Each of these instructions, each of these teachings of Jesus basically translates to say, congratulations, this is yours. Congratulations, this blessing is for you. This good news, this wonderful news is for you. This Jesus life, this best life is available for you. It's not just good advice. It is good advice. It's good teaching. But it's way more than that. It's how can we have the best life, the life we're called to live. It's called to give us joy and goodness. It's called to allow us to have the life that we're created to live. But equally, it's radical and it's challenging. And it makes us feel uncomfortable at times. It's not always easy reading. It's not always easy listening. And in a generation that often wants authenticity, often wants to stand out, often wants to stand up and be different and stretch ourselves and live differently, this is good, provocative challenge to us. 
to live a different way, to live a radical way. And as I was praying over this teaching this week, I was aware that one day I'll meet Jesus face to face. And I want to say that I walked for walk as well as talked for talk. I want to live the life that Jesus has called me to do and not just have the head knowledge, but also live it out. The challenge for us to live this stuff out. And Jesus in this passage gives us a new covenant, a new way. It's meant to be radical. It's meant to shift our thinking, shift our life, shift how we operate and love one another. Throughout Matthew's gospel, it's a Jewish gospel, and Matthew is trying to say that Jesus is the new Moses. Moses was the ultimate, most revered leader in Jewish history, and he's saying, no, no, this isn't Moses you focus on anymore, it's Jesus, he's the son of God, he's the new leader, and he's divine, he's the one you want to follow, he's the one that's going to change our lives, change our city, change our situations. And Moses received a new covenant on a hill, the Mount Sinai, and was received the commandments. And Jesus gives this the Seminole Mount on a mountain. And it's meant to say, look, he's the new Jesus. He's giving a different way. But it's an upside-down kingdom. It's transformational. It looks and feels differently to what Moses was, was teaching. And the best way I can describe it is by referring to a speed awareness course I went to a few weeks ago. <laughs> Hands up if you're brave enough to admit you've been to a speed awareness course. Okay, we are the bad people, okay? They're really bizarre situations because you go and you realize the only thing you've got in common with people around you is the fact that you are speeding. So your opening line is, you know, what were you here for? And it's really interesting. You have, like, generalization. You have these, like, boy racers who are really proud that are a speed awareness course. You know, they did 35 and a 30 and they are badass. They are cool, right? And equally, you've got these kind of are old ladies who are just so embarrassed to be there. You know, how can I be here? I did 32 and a 30, am I going to prison? You know, it's like completely over the top. And then it's quite bizarre because the next question, as you can imagine, is, well, where have you come from? What do you do? <laughs> now, working for a church is a conversation stopper at the best of times. But in this situation, it's kind of like, it's a complete, a complete conversation killer. But the speed awareness course, the whole idea of the day is to basically say, look, it's not about the points. It's not about the fine. What it's about is saying, for the sake of everyone, for the sake of living a safe life, for the sake of keeping our roads safe, for the sake of keeping children safe, for the sake of keeping yourself safe, drive sensibly. Drive in accordance to the law. Apparently, the UK is now one of the best and safest sets of roads in the Europe, but it's because we take it seriously. And really there's a kind of clash between the way Moses was teaching and the way Jesus was teaching. Moses was like, you need to obey these Ten Commandments. You need to follow these regulations. But Jesus is saying it's not about the rules. It's about the attitude. It's about the character. It's about how you choose to live. It's ultimately how do we love God and love one another. I would say it's desperately simple, really. Not easy to live out, but it's simple to understand. How do we, in every decision, love God, glorify God, and love one another? A new covenant he comes to give, which literally changes everything. Jesus challenges us. He provokes us, but it's for the blessed life. And what I want to do is we just unpack the scripture we've read. Is I want to just pull out three character traits that I think are key for us individually and as a church. And I say this hesitantly, but I truly believe throughout scripture that where we intentionally go after these character traits, where we own and value these character traits, there's anointing and blessing that follows. 
Throughout scripture where we go after this stuff and we see people own this stuff, there's anointing and blessing that follows. And I truly believe in this season that if we want to allow God to stretch us and bless us and anoint us more for what's ahead, then it's about owning and responding to this stuff. Jesus, in the passage we've read, has just been in the wilderness. In the wilderness, the devil tempts him in three different ways. And these values completely just counter it and say, look, this is the Jesus way. This is how you've been tempted, but this is how I respond as Jesus. This is how we respond as children of a living God. So I want to just focus on three things this morning that I believe are just certain character traits, certain behaviors, certain attitudes, certain just lifestyles that Jesus promotes that want the kind of character traits that he wants us to embody in our lives the first one I want to look at in terms of the Jesus way is humility the foundational verse in this passage is those who are poor in spirit I wasn't going to share this this morning but I feel it's right too is this morning once again I got up and got ready for coming to church and I was really quite sick in the shower and I say that just because I was reminded that actually if God's going to do anything this morning at church, if God's going to speak for me in any way, it's about me saying, look, it's all about you, it's not about me. We're strongest when we're in our weakness. Poor in spirit means when we're spiritually dependent, when we come to him and say, it's all about you working in your power, it's not about me. When we come to him at a place of saying, God, I need you, I need you, I want to be spiritually dependent on you. It speaks to a culture where the rich were living wealthy and hedonistic lives and were trying to get advanced by affluence and by material things. The Pharisees were trying to do it through religiosity and by obeying the rules. The rulers were trying to get it through power and by trying to dominate over one another. But this says, blessed are the poor, the children, the dependent, the meek. Blessed are those who come to him in brokenness. You see, it's when we're dependent on Christ, when we come to him in our weakness, when we come to him and say it's all about you, that we're actually strongest. As we grow in our faith, we realize it's less of us and more of him is where we are most complete. We depend on him. You see, brokenness in this passage and in scripture is the superstructure. We come to him as we meet Jesus, perhaps even for the first time today, and say, Jesus, it's because of your grace, it's because of what you did on the cross, because you lived, died and rose again that I can have a relationship with you. Thank you that this sinful man, this broken man, this idiot can have a relationship with the eternal living God. But equally, the more we relate to God, the more we get to know him, we realize that it's all about him. We have nothing spiritual without him. We are dependent and strongest when we lean into him. I was reminded again about the story of Horatio Spafford. And you may have heard this, but I think it's a really powerful and significant story. In the 18th century, so it was the 19th century, the 19th century, a wealthy landowner called Horatio Spafford had huge amounts of real estate, very wealthy man, and had six children in the outskirts of Chicago. And he also knew a minister called D.L. Moody, who was a famous evangelist in that time, very well known throughout the world. And... Tragically, just as, sorry, tragically, two of his children were killed and obviously a very difficult time for the family. And at the same time, the business that was hugely successful almost collapsed overnight. And they lost lots of land, they lost lots of money, lots of income, and they lost two of their children and huge amounts of wealth overnight. The family was in a real state of disrepair. 
So D.L. Moody said to him, well, why don't you come to one of my crusades to England? They need it. That was a joke. Okay. I'm English. And he said, why don't you come to one of my crusades? You can help share the good news, but you can also have a bit of a break. You've had a hard season, and this just gives you a chance to have some refreshment and a holiday. And they were just about to head off, and his business started to pick up again. So he told his wife and other four remaining daughters, he said, you go on ahead, and I'll join you later, but I just want to look after the business interests back here in Chicago. So they went ahead in the boat, they went along, and tragically, all four of the daughters died. And the mother miraculously survived. She sent a telegram to him saying, saved alone. He found out that he'd lost all six of his children. And on a six-week journey via boat, he got on the first boat to go meet his wife. He wrote the very famous song, It Is Well. It is well. No matter what life that throws at me, it is well. That is what being poor in the spirit means. That is what being dependent means. That no matter what life throws at me, it is well because I'm in relationship with him. That is just such a depth of faith. I've really reflected in recent weeks how, as a church, what's important isn't the worship, the teaching, the communities. What's important is that God's presence is with us in everything, as we depend on him, as we lean into him, as we're on our knees. It's about his presence encountering us and working through us. To come to him in a place of humility, to come to Jesus and say, it's all about you. Humility doesn't, think, doesn't mean thinking less of yourself, it's about thinking of yourself less. It's all about Jesus. In the New Testament, the term for leader is used over just only three times. The term for servanthood is used over a hundred times. We're called to serve. We're called to live a life of humility. In the Beatitudes that we read, it says, Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who live in humility. If we want to live the Jesus way, if we want to know the anointing of God on our lives, the first thing we need to prayerfully consider is what it is to live a life of humility, a deeper humility within us individually and together. The second thing I want to just emphasize in terms of just living the Jesus way is to be people of integrity. Holiness matters. Living a life that honors Jesus matters. Living a life where we try and be like Jesus matters. Billy Graham, the famous evangelist who died last year, said this, When wealth is lost, nothing is lost. When health is lost, something is lost. When character is lost, all is lost. Let me read that again. When wealth is lost, nothing is lost. When health is lost, something is lost. When character is lost, all is lost. I think that, we, that God takes care of our gifting. We take care of our character. God takes care of our anointing and our gifting. We take care of our character. And throughout the passage that we've read, there's a deliberate progression in verses 3 to 6. And it says that you come to him poor in spirit. And that, as we said, means you're dependent on him. It says that it's all about you. I come to you recognizing that I'm... Need in need of just a relationship with you, Jesus. I mean, it says those who mourn, blessed are those who mourn. And what that means is that as we come to him, we realize that we are so far away from him. We recognize just what an incredible God he is, that he would allow me or you into a relationship with him. We mourn because we think of our sin and our desperate need of him. We think, wow, God, wow, thank you. But then that leads to a place of meekness. It progresses, and the place of meekness says, it comes to our knees and we think from a place of grace, wow, 
Thank you, Jesus, that you would have a relationship with me. It's all about your grace. It's all about humbly living for you. And notice that the gift of God precedes his demands. So before he has any expectations on us, before he places any kind of demands on us, it's all his gift, his gift of relationship, his gift of goodness, of just wanting to be in relationship with us. And in verse 6, it talks about blessed are the righteous. Blessed are those who choose to be righteous. And it simply means being right before God. It means being in right relationship with God. And I think what we need to recognize is that the cross of Christ does two things, not one. It forgives us of our sins. It allows us to have a relationship with God. It allows us to have eternal life. It allows us to be in relationship with Jesus no matter what we've done here on earth. We are entitled to this eternal relationship with Jesus, which is an incredible gift and blessing. But it also allows us to flee from sin. It allows us to live a holy life. It allows us to flee from things that are distraction from the ultimate life in Jesus. The Beatitudes show non-Christians, those who are searching, that they simply cannot do it without Jesus. But it shows those of us who follow him that we live a life of righteousness as we turn to Jesus. It shows us what Jesus is teaching and way is. As I was preparing, I was thinking that being right before God means confession of sins and being open to his correction. It doesn't mean perfection. Let me say that again. It means confession of sins and being open for his correction. It doesn't mean perfection. We come to him with openness and transparency and honesty. I'm always amazed that we can hide from God. I'm talking to myself that we hide things from him. The creator of the universe, the all-powerful God, we decide not to tell things to. We decide not to open up to. It's crazy. He knows everything anyway, so come to him with openness. Psalm 139 says, search my heart, God. We come to him and says, look, come to me and allow me to be shaped and healed because of you. And I think God is as concerned with the journey as he is the destination. I don't think we'll ever get there on earth, but he's concerned about allowing us to be more and more like him because that is a journey that is blessed. That is the best life we are called to be. You cannot outgive God. We're called to be people of integrity, to be, to integrity, people of character and godly conduct. Integrity comes from the word integer, which simply means wholeness. It simply means one. And the best illustration I can give is around the Titanic. The Titanic was deemed to be the unsinkable ship. And the reason it was deemed to be unsinkable was because it had these different chambers. And the theory was that if one of these chambers filled with water, then the other chambers, because they'd be filled with air, would keep the boat afloat. But you and I both know that when the boat filled with water, when some of these chambers filled with water, the whole boat went down. And if we try and compartmentalize our life and say, well, this is me on a Sunday... This is me with my friends. This is me with my work colleagues. This is me on a Friday night. This is me at Sunday school or whatever it is. Then we're lacking integrity. We're called to be people of conduct and character who are open in every area of our lives before God. To daily say, God, search me. I'm not perfect. I'm a pardoned man. But equally, I come to you and I want to be more like you. I thank you for your incredible grace. But I want to be a person of integrity. I want to have good and godly conduct and character. We're called to humility. We're called to integrity. And finally, we're called to generosity. 
Rick Warren, the author of Purpose Driven Life, has received millions for his books, is still one of the number one bestsellers and has always given it to charity. And people have often said to him, you know, why do you think God chose you to have that incredible gift of finances? And he said, well, what people don't realize is that I've had a 20-year track record of giving away in poverty. And what he says was, leading up to the sale of a book, he, him and his wife had a decision every year they were going to up their tie from 10%, whether it's by quarter of a percent, by 5% if it was a good year. They live the way, they receive a wage of a local pastor and they have upped it every year. They're now giving away over 90% of their salary. But because God has just blessed them and always provided for them, they've always just known abundant blessing and provision. And he says, I've got a 20-year track record of giving away in poverty, and that is why God allowed me to write this book. Because God was able to trust him with that finance. And it's not just about money. It's about living a life of generosity that favors one another, that prefers one another, that says, actually, I'm blessed when I bless others. I'm blessed when I prefer others. I'm blessed when I realize I'm made for community. I'm blessed when I realize that actually loving others is allowing me to be loved by God. When we realize that everything we receive is a gift of God's grace, everything we receive is just a true blessing, we are so grateful, we are so overwhelmed, everything comes from above, and we are so desperate to share it, so desperate to live it out, because we want to give what we have received. The second half of the Beatitudes from verse 7 to 10 is all about loving others. The first half is all about how we love God. The second half is all about how we love others. Verse 7, blessed are those who are merciful, those who have compassion for those in need. Blessed are those who have pure in heart. So we have a pure heart of love and respect for one another. Blessed are the peacemakers who are hands and feet of Jesus. We are his peace embodied. And blessed are those who are persecuted. And it's strange to have this at the end. How can we be blessed when we are persecuted? But it's because we cannot outgive God. When we suffer, we become like Jesus. For those of us who follow Jesus, there will be suffering, there will be hardship. Because we live for a different kingdom, we live for a different purpose. But to selflessly live for one another, to selflessly say, it's all about others. I will go wherever you want me to go. I'll be who you ever want me to be. I'll do whatever you want me to do, whatever it cost, because I want to share this good news. Is when we're blessed. When we look at Paul in the New Testament, I'm always blown away by the fact that he was imprisoned. He was escaping death time and time again. He had... A whole number of things thrown at him. His life was horrendously hard. Probably more persecution than any of us will experience. Yet he was full of worship. He was full of joy because it was for a greater purpose. We're called to be generous and loving to others. Adele and I live in an area of Edinburgh and we've got to know some people locally. And I, I'm ashamed to say recently I was praying for something. I said, God, help me not to know too much pain because it's hard. And anyone who's engage with which I'm sure almost all of you have you realize that when you start to engage pain and start to engage difficult lives it's hard because there's only so much that you feel like you can take I remember God just saying to me I will provide what you need keep loving keep being generous there's no other way than the Jesus way which is embracing the pain and challenge keep giving away what you've got the American pastor Francis Chan talked about the fact that when he was leading his church in California, he had a guy who became a Christian 
and it was an incredible story because he was a gang leader, he was doing some horrendous stuff and he became a Christian. And real kind of zero to hero story and he got baptized, it was really exciting for the church. And after a while he noticed he hadn't been at church and he went to his guy and said, look, you know, I haven't noticed you at church, where have you been? And the guy said to me, he said, Francis, when I joined my gang, they gave everything for me. They lived selflessly for me. They did what they could to help me. They preferred me. They had my back. When I joined your church, apart from being around on Sundays and joining in for an occasional meal, I didn't really notice that sense of generosity and community. Wow, he was taken back. I'm taken back. That's a challenge for us to live community, to us to live a life of generosity, preferring one another. I hope I haven't been too much stick this morning. I hope there's been some carrot. But this is the life we're called to live, the blessed life, the best life. When we choose to say, actually, Jesus, it's all about you. When I, want, when I choose to live a life of humility, integrity, and generosity, we know that we can't outgive God. We know that he wants to provide for us, to bless us, to encourage us, to equip us. Imagine what it looks like for us individually and as a church as we step into this. Imagine the anointing and blessing as we prefer one another, as we live lives of integrity and humility, as we step into this more than we've done before. What does it look like for me? What does it look like for us to own this stuff? I was chatting to someone recently who knows Mike Pilavachi, and some of you will have heard of him, but he's done incredible things. They've had festivals every year in England and Scotland for the last 27 years. And they often have 35,000 people at these festivals. And they, I said to this guy, I said, you know, what is it about Mike? What can we learn? Like, he's, God's using him in such phenomenal ways. They often see two, 3,000 young people become to know Jesus at their festivals. What is it we can learn? And he said, he said, Mike's not any more gifted than you or I, but he's obedient, and God anoints his obedience. Mike isn't any more gifted than you or I, but he's obedient and God anoints his obedience. God blesses obedience when we choose to wholeheartedly follow him. I mention him almost every time I speak, but Jim Graham was a guy from Scotland who was our church leader back in England, and he did phenomenal things in just terms of influencing me and investing in me. And one of the things I always think about Jim was he was one of those gentle and quiet and calm people you'll ever met but within him there was real humility integrity and generosity and boy was there an authority because the authority and the anointing comes from obedience why don't we stand as we close Lord, we thank you that you are such a good God. I pray that we'd be reminded once again of the peace and joy and grace that you provide for those who follow you. We thank you that you allow me, us, to have a relationship with you no matter how broken or messed up we feel. We thank you that you are good. And I pray this morning that we would know where you're nudging us, where you're prompting us to look and act and live and love more like you. 
what I've said this morning that's unhelpful or perhaps even not true, I pray that we just forget. But what is your word for us individually and collectively this morning? I pray that we would carry and own. And I pray that it would lead us to a place of worship and thankfulness. I pray that we would be individuals in a church known for our godly character and conduct, Lord. Help us daily just to say, Lord, what does it mean for me to look and live and behave more like you? Amen.